morning, church family. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bible to Ecclesiastes. I'm going to be in the fourth chapter. We're continuing our sermon series called Real Life. And um, today we'll be talking about real life is lived in community. You want to live real life, live in community. As you guys are turning there, I want to remind you, both our services on Easter Sunday will be in this auditorium. So our hope is to completely fill the first service and completely fill the second service. Y'all be planning right now on inviting somebody. That first service, Alan and I are going to speak, and Kellett's going to lead worship, so we're bringing out the heavy hitters on Easter Sunday morning. We're going to have some great stuff planned for you that day. Um, today, our text is from Ecclesiastes chapter 4. I'm going to be starting in the ninth verse. And in this particular section of Scripture, Solomon, who wrote Ecclesiastes, gives us a few things that emphasize the importance of connecting. And as I was studying for this and praying over this, I was reminded of a song that I've only listened to a handful of times, but some of you, it probably was your favorite song. It's by a group called the Beatles. Has anybody ever heard of the Beatles? All right. Some, some of you really listened to a lot of the Beatles. I haven't, but the song that came to my mind is a song called Eleanor Rigby. You've heard this song possibly. So it's about this lady named Eleanor Rigby who's picking up rice in a church where a wedding has been. She kind of lives in this dream. She's a very lonely lady. And there's another, an, another name in the song. It's a man's name, Father McKenzie, who's writing a sermon that no one will hear. Nobody's going to show up at the church. And these two people are very lonely. And Paul McCartney, who wrote the song, asks a question in the chorus. All the lonely people... Where do they all come from? All the lonely people, some of you know the, the way that this finishes, where do they all belong? And our culture has been trying to answer that question almost any way it can. And I thought a really easy way to illustrate this is from the sitcom Cheers. And Cheers is, is our culture's answer to where all the lonely people belong. They belong at the local corner bar, drinking alcohol, commiserating together, sharing their faults, sharing their dreams, sharing their hopes. And this corner bar offers an artificial uh, experience of what God really intends for people to be a part of, which is his family. And the answer to Paul McCartney's question in Eleanor Rigby, where, where do all the lonely people come from? All the lonely people on planet Earth come from being disconnected from the body of Christ. And where do all the lonely people belong? All the lonely people belong in authentic community with the Lord Jesus Christ and with the men and women, men and women who are members of his family. Not... At the local corner bar where everybody knows your name and everybody thinks people are all the same. Can I get a witness this morning, somebody? So I want to go to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And we're going to look at what Scripture has to say about how really to connect and live in community. You see, I got this shirt that, that says, You Belong. And this is a shirt that represents our Forever Family Ministry. And so each month we get uh, individuals and families together at the church to, just, to, to do this very thing, to just connect. And so I'm going to be showing you some pictures of how White Ferry Road locally is stepping out in the community trying to get uh, men and women better connected to the body of the Lord Jesus Christ and better, better connected to Jesus Christ himself. 
So our text this morning is from Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. I'm going to read it this morning. The Bible says this. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity, and I, I really wanted to say, but pity the fool. Because uh, we're kind of doing like 80s references, so I thought that would fit. Uh, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. Prayerfully, and uh, having been led by the Spirit, there are four things I believe these verses share with us that we need to learn this morning that are principles for living in community. And the first one is the principle of synergy. The principle of synergy. So if we look at Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 9, the Bible says... Two are better than one because these two working together have a better return for their labor than either of them would have working individually by themselves. And so if we define the word synergy, the word synergy means this. The cooperation of two or more agents to produce a combined effect greater than the sum of their separate effects. You drove here this morning in a vehicle. And if you disassembled your vehicle and laid it all out in front of you, you would see a bunch of metal that's really not worth much. But when you assemble the vehicle together, you don't just have an assembled hunk of metal. The sum of all those parts added together creates something qualitatively different than existed before they were all added together. So you assemble all the parts together in a vehicle, you put your key in the ignition, and you turn the ignition on, and now you got something with hundreds of horsepower that can propel you over the asphalt at 70-plus miles an hour and get you to point A to point B much faster than a big old hunk of metal could get you. That's the principle of synergy. In our life... Finding purpose and finding meaning is very difficult work. And that's mostly the context of the book of Ecclesiastes. It is Solomon's journal as he has tried just about everything he possibly could to find purpose and meaning in life. And not only is it difficult to find purpose and meaning in life, it's also difficult once you find your purpose and your life has meaning to stay aligned with that purpose every single day of your life. What is your purpose? I, w- I want to remind you that my, my thinking today is your purpose is to be authentically connected to Jesus Christ and live authentically connected to His body, men and women who are members of the family of God. That is your purpose. And once you find that purpose, which can be a challenge, staying on that purpose can be a challenge. So what do you need to do in life? You need to work not harder, but smarter. Not harder, but smarter. And based on the principle of synergy, that's a a really uh, sexy platitude, right? You've all said that before. Work smarter. Don't work harder, but work smarter. But what exactly does that mean? Well, based on the principle of synergy, working smarter and not harder means working together. 
If you want to work smarter and not harder, you need to find someone who you can work alongside to accomplish the mission and purpose God has set out for you. And if you'll work alongside somebody, you'll be more productive than either of you could have been individually. In, in, in a synergistic relationship, which a marriage is a good example of that, in, in, a, in a relationship in which there's synergy, I am not thinking of doing things my way and convincing the other person that my way is the right way. And the principle of synergy, if we're, if we're abiding by the principle of synergy in a relationship, the other person is not trying to get, convince me that their way is the right way and that I should do it their way. The principle of synergy says there's no such thing as my way or your way. There is only our way. And if we break down verse 9, really in its Greek, that phrase, good return, is the same Greek phrase we would use to talk about a good return on a financial investment. And certainly any of us who are financially vested in anything would like a good return on our investment. But if we're really behaving the way Scripture asks us to behave, what we have to understand is that the best investments in life, listen to this church family, are not financial but relational. The best investments you can make in life are always going to be in people. Why? Because when you invest in somebody and you're working together not to make it your way or their way, but our way, and we're in authentic community together, we're going to get a much bigger return than we ever could get if we were financially vested in something. So what does it take to really live in synergy with another individual? I like Proverbs uh, 27, 17. You might write this down. I don't have this on the screen. But you'll know the verse. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Now let's go back to this idea of a, a big block of iron. Right? Its only purpose in that moment is basically a gigantic paperweight. But if I shave a piece off and I sharpen it, the second it becomes sharp, I've changed its very being. Now I can use it as a weapon to defend myself. Or I can use it as a tool to help me build a home. Or, if you're me, I would use it as a utensil to cut like a big piece of steak right before I ate it into six-ounce pieces so I can eat it six ounces at a time rather than 12 or 16 or 20 or 30. All right, so, so synergy involves one person sharpening another, and that can be an uncomfortable process. So if you're going to live in synergy in your relationships, the first thing you have to understand is that there is value in differences. There's value in differences. To be successful in business, to be successful in life, and to be successful in relationships, it's healthy to have close relationships with people who don't agree with you. And when people don't agree and they give you some constructive feedback or you're wrestling with a topic that you don't see eye to eye on, rather than run from that, value the difference. Value the difference. And I would even say to take that one step further, you have to not only value the difference, but you also need to be influenceable. You need to be able to be influenced by the people you're in relationship with. I think a lot of individuals at our core really do believe we have the answers to life. And when somebody's talking to us about an idea that we feel differently about, it's very hard for us to be easily influenced by them. To live in synergy, allow others to have influence in our life. And the third thing is to be humble. 
We're going to need God's Spirit active and involved in our relationship processes if we're really going to connect with people in a way that makes the sum of our work greater than it would be if either of us were working individually. So humble people also are people who usually have the capacity for sympathy, which is... Uh, before I go here, I want to show you a picture of how this is illustrated. Uh, let me show you this picture, guys. Go, go to this next slide. So this is a picture of synergy. Now, some of you may not be able to see this, but in this particular picture, our very own David Bowles is at the center of the picture. You can't really see his face. And he has Judson Taylor on his shoulders, which is the little boy um, in a blue jacket. Okay, so David Bowles got Judson uh, Taylor on his shoulders in a blue jacket. And the assignment at family camp was for a dad to hold a little boy on their shoulders and for the boy to shoot a ball in the basketball hoop. So I love David Bowles, and he knows that. But he and I also know that by himself, he could not have put the basketball through the hoop. Okay? And I mean that with all due respect and love. Okay? Judson, who could have easily made the shot, couldn't unless he was elevated to a level where his body could force the ball up there. So neither of these guys could do the task individually. But you add them together and you get the team who won the basketball shot. And you can't see this in the picture, but that's my son and I right behind them closer to the goal. And we didn't win. And if y'all were betting, I know y'all would have bet on me. So this proves how valuable synergy can be in life. Man, it can put people way above where they would have been individually. Okay. So I do want to move on. I want to talk to you about sympathy. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 10. When someone falls and another person is there to either brace the fall or help them up, that's what I would call sympathy. In the 10th verse, Solomon says, if either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. I want you to write James 1.14 down if you're taking notes today. Because I believe this is what type of fall the Bible is referring to here. James chapter 1.14 says, Each one sins when we are led away by our own internal lust or desire to sin and enticed. This is what kind of fall we're talking about here. It's the kind of fall where Trent has an area of his life that he is allowed to lead him off of his purpose and lead him outside the will of God and causes sin in my life that leads me to stumble. And when I stumble like that, I really need someone beside me who can be there to help me get up when I fall. Sympathy is defined as support or understanding between people related to a common feeling or experience. This is a phrase I, I, I wanted to give to you this morning. Life is really about falling gracefully and rising consistently. So I look back over 2017 and I calculated the number of counseling appointments I had with men, women or families from either the church or from the community. And in 2017, I had 987 counseling appointments, which is about an average of 19 a week. And can I just tell you that I, I know something about what it takes to rise after a person falls? Sharing that many sessions with that many different individuals over that, that length of time, I have seen some of the more difficult situations imaginable in life. And I've seen some people overcome those situations. 
And the key ingredient in the ones who are able to overcome and rise after they fall are those individuals who have somebody there to support them as they have fallen. This, this type of a situation is, is very, very common. And unfortunately, in these kinds of situations, you realize who your friends really are. The, the, the joke in our culture is you want to see who your friends really are? Take a hard fall and see who's around there to catch you or help you up after you have fallen. Life isn't about avoiding the fall as much as it's about having people around you who can support you and help you up. So I think there are two things I want to remind you of as far as sympathy is concerned. The first thing is what does it take to really effectively give support or sympathy? If somebody in your life is falling and it's just a head over heels fall or somebody in your life has already fallen... What do you need to do to really be there for them in sympathy to help them rise? The first thing I want to say, I've had 987 counseling appointments in the last year. This is the first and most valuable thing I feel I can tell you when someone in your life has fallen, how to help them rise. The first is be okay with not having a good answer. Be okay with not knowing what to say. People who, who are helped by those around them often usually say, Trent, it wasn't any of the advice that they had given me. I already pretty much knew what they were going to say. Or I, I knew what I needed to do differently. It was just that they were willing to be there for me. One thing the enemy uses to keep God's people separated is by making God's people feel like you don't have the right answers. And I, I want to tell you, you probably don't. And that's okay. Be okay with not having a good answer. The second thing I want to tell you, if you're going to really be sympathetic and be supportive for somebody who's struggling, is to learn to be fully present in really distressing situations. There are so many things that pull at our attention, from cell phones to jobs to families to our own physical needs, hunger, fatigue, sleep. And if somebody in your life is falling, if you can learn to be fully present and focus your attention on them and remove all distractions, just that sense of connection will be so meaningful to the people in your life who are struggling. And as as you're working with people who have who have fallen and who who are struggling, I want you to learn to trust your instinct. Uh, Paul tells the Corinthian church that this is called a spirit of discernment. And I want you to trust that as a member of the family of God, the Holy Spirit is going to be working through you as you are working with people who have fallen. And I want you to begin to learn to rely on that instinct or that spirit of discernment that God is going to give you in moments where people in your life are distressed. And I want you to learn to trust that God is going to help you be for those individuals what you need to be. So what if you're on the other side of that fall? What if you're not the one who's giving sympathy? What if you're the one who is needing sympathy? I got a couple of things I want to say to you. The first is let your walls down. Let the walls down. My son uh, broke his thumb on a baseball field in practice on Tuesday. So it was his right hand, which is also his throwing hand. So a ball is hit to the outfield. He tries to catch it. It misses his glove. He's got his dad's coordination. It misses the glove and it hits him in his throwing hand. So we teach our kids about toughness. So I don't care how, how bad your throwing hand hurts. 
If you got a ball sitting right in front of you and you got somebody who's expecting you to throw that ball, what do you better do if you're in my family? You better pick that ball up with your throwing hand and fire a line driver at that guy, which is exactly what my son did. So two days later, we realize it's broken. And then I feel like a terrible parent for emphasizing toughness because my son threw this ball with a broken thumb. It had to, the pain had to be excruciating. What we do in our culture is we teach people the value of putting walls between themselves and their pain. And either pretend like it didn't happen or it doesn't hurt. But God, if you're going to allow somebody to help you rise up after you've fallen, you have got to let the walls down and get connected with what's really going on in there. The second thing I would say is there is a difference between hearing and receiving. There's a difference between hearing and receiving. And you've done this before. You know what I'm talking about. Someone has come alongside you to offer some empathy or sympathy and encouragement. And you've heard what they were saying, but you didn't allow it past your pain to really receive. Yeah, Trent, that's good advice. Or, hey, I appreciate you calling. Or, thanks for stopping by. And I can tell there's a disconnect there. Mostly because the wall is still up, but also probably because the person is thinking this guy's too young to have any really good feedback for me. Or this guy's never really walked in my shoes. He really can't know what I'm talking about. Or I'm just not in a place where I really want to hear that right now, Trent. Any of those things or a number of other things I could say makes it easy to hear sympathy from others, but difficult to receive sympathy from others. And it's your responsibility to really receive, to let the Spirit of God make you receptive to God's ministry to you through other people. And the last thing I want to say on that is lean into the pain. What always makes a bad situation worse is trying to numb the pain you feel or distract yourself from the pain you feel. People do all different kinds of things to do that. We get drunk. We get high. We look for a relationship. We become really arrogant and narcissistic and pretend like our pain is somebody else's fault or that ours doesn't exist. Or we isolate and withdraw and become fatigued and disinterested and, and unmotivated. All of those are functions of a person or, or, or symptoms of a life of a person who is trying to run from, distance themselves from, or numb out the pain that they feel. And my encouragement to you is just to lean into that pain. And if you won't run from it and you'll admit it and you'll let walls down and you'll allow people to surround you and encourage you, what you'll find is that you don't have to have all the strength to rise. But that God, through ministering to you and others, will help you get back on your feet. And really that's what survival is all about in this world. And that's the next principle that Solomon talks about here in Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse 11. We go from falling now to freezing. And the 11th verse, if two, if a person is wandering along the road and that, and that specific individual, and I've got this on the screen for you, if that specific individual would fall by the, Oh yeah, let me get, let me get you this picture here. I'm sorry. So I don't know if Gary and Erica are in here this morning, but this is Gary Osborne. And that is his wife, Erica. And you can see Gary's got his pant leg hiked up, hiked up. So the assignment was for a wife to pull as many of her husband's leg hairs out at one time as she possibly could. Now, why is this a good illustration of sympathy? Look at these faces in the background, okay? These are the faces of sympathy, man. These are men and women and children from Gary's Forever family who are watching this carnage take place and are looking at the situation with sympathy. And I promise you that provided Gary with some strength 
which is where I want to go now in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 11. So if, if a person is walking along a road and all of a sudden the temperature falls to the point of freezing, and if that person lies down, he would likely freeze to death. But if there's a companion that's with him, then those two can keep warm. Survival is all about having support or understanding from a person that is related to you through a common feeling or experience. That's the type of relationship survival that we're talking about here in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 11. So if you look at your Bible and, and, or if you just write down John chapter 16 verse 33. Jesus says, these words I have spoken to you so that you might have peace. In this world, the temperature is going to drop. In this world, there are going to be times where some unexpected calamity strikes. In this world, there is going to be tribulation. It's not because of your sin. It's not because of your lust. It's not because of your mistakes. It's because of what's happening outside of you that is having an impact on you. It's different from falling, which is about Trent's own sin and lust causing him to be led away and, and fall. This freezing is not about that. It's about Trent trying to stay on purpose and trying to stay on mission and the temperature in Trent's life just dropping and Trent being in a situation where his survival is threatened if he doesn't have support. We've all heard these phrases and this is a common text that's used in mar- marriage ceremonies and weddings. And uh, we've all heard different ways of like trying to get people the understanding of what it takes to have a great marriage. One plus one equals one is a bad marriage. Two people come together and one person's dominating the other person and neither of them are really happy. That's not the way it's supposed to work. You've heard one plus one is supposed to equal three. Where we each still have an individual identity and then the marriage itself has an identity and we're all really um, on purpose and finding meaning and joyful. I've even heard one plus one equals four. We each have our unique identity, the marriage does, and then Christ is involved in all of that. Chuck Swindoll says it like this as far as this particular verse is concerned. One plus one equals survival. One plus one equals survival. Genesis chapter 1 verse 28 says something profound about human beings. That we are made in the image of God. And being made in the image of God means we are designed to connect. Part of my education was learning about what happens, what symptomatic behaviors in children are a result of disconnect from their primary caregiver. Meaning a mom and a dad have a child and they're not taking care of the child the way they need to. And the child's totally disconnected from the parents. What can happen? It's a medical condition called failure to thrive, which can lead to demise in a child. Children can actually die if they're disconnected from primary caregiver. They can have adequate shelter, food, nutrition, and hygiene. And if they're not connected, it costs them their life. What we thought is that as people got older, their need for that kind of connection diminished or or dropped over time. But that's not the case. The effect it has on us just changes. And so in your life, the key is to really understand and learn how to allow yourself to be strengthened in the community that you're a part of. And this could be a really difficult process and a really tough process, but it's a very critical process. I want to show you a picture that I've got up here that really illustrates this. This is a group of kids at our family camp learning a survival skill. What are they doing here? If you can see it. They're fishing. 
But the survival skill they're learning is not how to catch fish. It's how to have relationships with one another. And if the kids in this picture would really develop a deep connection and follow each other over the course of their life, they would, they would survive even when life leaves them out in the cold. A couple of thoughts on how to really use relationships to survive. The first is to be honest. Be honest with yourself and those you're in relationships with about what's really going on in your life. And the second is to value being vulnerable. And the last thing I want to say about really valuing relationships and how to use relationships to help you survive is to learn to take the calculated risk of deeply trusting others. Man, it can be so risky to really disclose what's going on with you to someone else. And my challenge would be that you take the risk at trusting another so that when life leaves you in the cold, you got somebody right there who can help keep you warm on a dark night. The last principle Solomon's going to mention for us is in Ecclesiastes 4.12. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. That's all about strength, which is the emotional, emotional, mental, or physical qualities necessary in dealing with situations or events that are distressing or difficult. There truly is strength in numbers. There truly is strength in numbers. Let me show you this picture from our family camp. This is a picture of me and my beautiful bride. And we are doing a synchronized movement sequence in this photo, which is distinct from dancing, but there are some similarities. Okay? So this is a synchronized movement sequence between Kirsten and I, and we are having an absolute ball. And I wanted to show you this picture because for me, it's a really good example of how I've found the strength to face my demons day in and day out. I was just talking with her earlier this week. I'm in recovery, been in recovery 14 years this coming December. So 13 years in a few months. Yeah, give God some praise for that. And God knew that I needed something to motivate me on the tough days when the fight just didn't seem like it was worth fighting. When I would rather gone out and used or rather thrown in the towel or rather gone around the old friends. It was this relationship right here on those tough days that made the fight worth fighting. And not because I wanted to do it for Trent. But because I felt Kirsten deserved better than being married to a, an addict. And it was that thought that on the toughest days of my recovery, kept me, God used to keep me in the saddle. And you don't have to be married to love people enough for them to motivate you to stay on track. You just have to be authentically connected enough for those relationships to matter enough to keep you on track during the tough times. All those lonely people that Paul McCartney was talking about and Eleanor Rigby, that's the tragedy. Is when they're disconnected from Christ and when they're disconnected from one another, on the tough days, it's hard to find the strength to really keep fighting. I want you to watch a video that we've prepared that tells the story of a few couples in our church who have really bought into our local community and experienced the benefits of synergy, sympathy, survival, and strength right here at WFR Church. You guys go ahead and roll that clip. You guys watch this for a moment.
means everything to me. Without community, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. Uh, I would be still living the way I was living. I wouldn't be at church. Uh, Me and my wife maybe wouldn't be together. I know that I can pick up the phone at any time with any question I have, any sort of uh, uh, problem. And, you know, instantly there's people there to help me. Or if anybody in community needs help, I know I'm, I'll head out there to help them. Just having people there to support you, uh, pray for you, just to be there when you need it. Whenever I first started coming to Whitesbury Road, uh, it, it was just me and my girls. Uh, and my husband wasn't in the church, and uh, I did want to get plugged in somewhere. I just didn't know how, and I did get into a community group uh, by word of mouth, and uh, it's, it's been one of the best decisions uh, that I've ever made. Um, Amy started coming to Watts Ferry Road uh, about three or four years ago and she got involved with the community groups and they were the ones that prayed for me every single time they met to get me to try to come every single time and they were the ones that would come to me and love on me when I didn't want to be loved on when you know, community group was there. Uh, And without them being there, I wouldn't be sitting here right now with them loving on me like that and taking care of my family when I wasn't here to take care of my family. The change that it's made is when we are struggling with real life issues, they're there to help us and get us through it and just able to talk about it and just have somebody to walk through life with instead of being alone and keeping us honest and real. The grave is just getting together and worshiping and, and having dinner together. It helped me raise my children. Who, um, I help them raise their children. Our kids are growing together. We're kind of more like sisters than friends. Uh, fishing. We do a good bit of fishing together. My life has been incredible since I started, you know, in, in the house church and all. I mean, I've had... There was a time that we we didn't really want to do it. Uh, well, you know, the church is enough. You know, we go to Sunday. I mean, we missed out a lot for not being in community groups. We, <clears throat> I don't think we'll ever change and get back to it the way that we was. It's even better than the church. I mean, it's, it's really good. You get to know a lot of other people and to be able to walk with good walks. It's uh, great people. They're just really special people. Um, to have people is important. To have people that turn your side and you love you. Give those families in that video.
And I, I want to remind you, church family, that you belong. There is a place where you belong that will really help you find meaning and purpose and rise when you stumble or keep you warm when you're cold or help you find strength when you need it. So don't let the enemy deceive you into thinking that you can't overcome because you can since you belong. Bow with me while we close in prayer. Precious Heavenly Father, there, there are a handful of individuals in this auditorium that don't feel like they belong. They, they feel um, like a wayward, wayward individual uh, that, that has lost uh, their way. And I, I would ask that if there are any of those uh, men or women in the audience this morning, that, that they would be willing to come forward and to really find the place where they fit right here at WFR and in your family. God, I ask for any person who has any other need, anybody carrying a burden, anyone who just needs to bring an issue before you, that they, that they would come forward this morning and allow us to minister to them. And I ask this in the precious name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.